Welcome to Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of those who love wallowing in rejection. I'm Hannah Leach, a multidisciplinary artist and audio producer, as well as Eponine in corpse form. And I'm Audrey Leach, director, editor, producer, and extremely recent survivor of A Haunted House. We are the sister duo, also known as Tooping Productions, and we haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them. We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are? Today, we are talking about 2005's Corpse Bride. They were due to be married, though they'd never before met. His parents were thrilled. Hers were filled with regret. But in a moment of panic, Victor desperately fled. And by a grave misunderstanding, married the corpse bride instead. You may kiss the bride. Hello, divas. Welcome back to Sleepover Cinema, your favorite spooky podcast for the season apparently <laughs> we are a it's horror funny podcast like, i like didn't think we were gonna do spooky stuff for october other than the week of halloween i have an anecdote please related to halloween <laughs> i had just traveled back to la from being in ohio because we were in ohio for our father's party <laughs> Basically, we were in Ohio because our dad is changing jobs and the company that he has worked at for 20 some years decided to throw him like end of, what do you call it? I don't even know. A happy trails party or something? Yeah. Yeah. And so we, we went back to Ohio for it. And then I ended up having an over 24 hour long day on the day that I came back because blah, blah, blah. Anyway, moral of the story is on sleep deprivation, I went to a haunted house. (laughs) I can't believe that. I forget what the whole thing is called, but it's in Griffith Park in LA at night. It's extremely spooky. I mean, being there at night in general is spooky, like even without this overlay. And so- (laughs) Overlay? (laughs) Yeah, okay. It's literally an overlay. I was hoping that the sleep deprivation would actually help me. Like, I'm kind of out of it, so it's fine. But just know that the only times I have ever gone to a haunted house in the past, well, really the first time, which was when I was 18, went very, very poorly. I think I've told that story before. But this time I went and really I was super nervous, but I ended up being able to see a lot more than I thought I would. Like there was more light. Yeah, in the houses than I thought there would be. But like, it was, they were just, they were just, there was also a haunted hayride. Did you uh, do it? Not that, mm-hmm. That was like the idea to go to that. And it was just not that scary. It just okay. wasn't. <laughs> That's good. So I've improved. There was a lot of growth. With each house, I was like, okay, this one's, this one could be way worse. Okay. And then basically what I would do is just be in the middle of the group so that the person in front of me would take the hit and then I would just run after them. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. I have not been to a haunted house in almost 10 years because no one that I'm friends with does anything scary, including rides, 
or drinks. And I know. It's not great. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? <laughs> For the most part, the new friends I've been making do. Like, you know how like the, the haunted houses, they'll just have dudes walking around? Yes. That's bad for me. Like yes. that that definitely gets me almost yes. worse than like a haunted house because you don't know when they're coming. This guy came up behind me. It was very strange. Actually, he 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 was supposed to be like a skeleton plumber. <laughs> okay. Okay. And, and he was like, he was like, excuse me, miss, your ankles are showing and your ankles cannot be seen in this land or something. <laughs> He was saying, but he was like, ma'am, I'm going to need you to step over here. And then he said to Brett, he was like, Brett, you need to like hold on to her or something. He like had to put his hands on my shoulders. This was very strange. And then the guy like blew some like air into my ear and then was like, oh, like just checked in your, it made no sense. It made absolutely no sense. And then I was like, okay, well, what if I put my socks over my ankles and he was like, yeah, do that. So I like pulled my socks up. <laughs> and, I, and he was like, if I see you again with your ankles showing, I'm going to have to pull you over again or something. <laughs> what? It made no sense That's really all. weird. In one of the haunted houses, this woman came out of nowhere. She was like trying to, you know, just do a scare. But she had on like almost no makeup. <laughs> so I said... My my like gut instinct to that, I was like, oh, she's just a woman. It's fine. And then and then everyone was laughing because I was like, oh, it's just a woman. And then she like got mad and like ran after us because I said that. <laughs> well, she got mad like in character. That's yeah, funny. like like, you know, if you like I feel like if you say that someone wasn't scary and they like hear you, they'll like try to do it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ten out of ten on production design and atmosphere, they did a great job. But the actual haunted houses themselves were too well lit and didn't have like enough people in them, I feel like. I got to ask around and see if anyone likes haunted houses in the friend circle here. Someone has to. I bet Julia would. I mean, I just have to be like basically forced to go and then I'll go. But like... (laughs) Yeah. It has... you know what it actually is? My FOMO. It's my FOMO that will actually get me to go. Like if my friend group is going, I'm just like, well, I'm not going to like miss out if this is like a great memory for them or something. Right, right. So that's my story. Good job. Congratulations on surviving once again. Thank you. Genuinely, I was like clapping when I came out. I was like, wow, like we just, did it. I've come so far. I've come yeah, so far. You really have. We're not questioning the culture. We're talking about what are we so obsessed with this week? I got to say, even though I'm not indulging in it that much, I'm really enjoying and thinking about playing Stardew Valley a lot, which I've been playing it, not a ton, but basically it's like a really, really, really cute, it's kind of Animal Crossing-ish, but it's 2D and it's very like retro looking and... I'm sure that a lot of people that listen to the podcast have played it before, but I think it's compelling me to be a vegetarian because you buy all of your livestock and you raise them and you like collect their eggs and milk them and stuff. It's a combination of that 
And that also last night we were driving home from Cleveland and we're driving next to a giant truck full of cows. And there's something about it that was just really unsettling. Yeah. And honestly, you're not really that, you don't like love eating meat anyway. No. I feel like. No. So like it's chill. Like I feel like that wouldn't be that hard for you. You wouldn't like miss it too much. No, as long as I can still have like chips and ice cream and stuff like that, I'll be happy. Audrey, what are you obsessed with? Duvets. Okay. My entire life, I never had a duvet cover or a duvet because, you know, they can be a hassle, I guess. Putting the cover over the blanket can (laughs) be annoying. And I think our mom just didn't want to deal with that. So we always had... I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. So we always had quilts or comforters, which I get. I mean, especially for children, like, who might mess it up. But now I'm I'm a real adult who has a duvet cover. It is just luxury having a big, big duvet. I fully agree. Are you ready to talk about Corpse Bride? See, let's get into it. Corpse Bride was released in the United States on September 23rd, 2005 and was rated PG. Audrey, can you tell us what Corpse Bride is about according to various media sources? So the IMDb synopsis, when a shy groom practices his wedding vows in the inadvertent presence of a deceased young woman, (laughs) she rises from the grave, assuming he has married her. (laughs) Letterboxd, set in a 19th century European village, this stop motion animation feature follows the story of Victor, a young man whisked away to the underworld and wed to a mysterious corpse bride while his (laughs) real bride, Victoria, waits bereft in the land of the living. Rotten Tomatoes, Victor and Victoria's families have arranged their marriage. Though they like each other, Victor is nervous about the ceremony. While he's in a forest practicing his lines for his <laughs> vows, practicing his <laughs> vows for the wedding, a tree branch becomes a hand that drags, this is too literal, that I know. drags him to the land of the dead. It belongs to Emily, who was murdered after eloping with her love and wants to, I don't know that they were really in love. This seems incorrect. And wants to marry Victor. Victor must get back above ground before Victoria marries the villainous Barkus Bittern. Oh, Audrey, you really have an opportunity to shine in this next section. Taglines. First one is, loving you is like loving the dead. Is that a figure of speech? I've never heard that. Me neither. Second, a grave proposal. That's that's a, that's a dead Dead giveaway. (laughs) The graceful dead. Nice. Throw him a bone. I would assume that has to do with the dog. (laughs) Um, Probably. The love of his life. Okay. Sure. The love of her afterlife. Oh, that's probably together. The love of his life. The love of her afterlife. That's clever. Can a heart still break once it's stopped beating? Drama. Rising to the occasion. That's dumb. I don't like that one. (laughs) And lastly, there's been a grave misunderstanding. I really like that one, actually. Yeah, that one's very like Burton-y. Yeah, I like (laughs) it. I like the wordplay. Speaking of Tim Burton, this movie was directed by Tim Burton and Mike Johnson. The Corpse Bride is really Tim Burton's idea, but the real execution of it was left up to Mike Johnson. Mike worked on Anomalisa, James and the Giant Peach, The Nightmare Before Christmas, all that kind of stuff. But his 
credits kind of petered out and I was like, what's the deal with this man? So I looked him up. His IMDb is really funny and he has his own production company called Fat Cactus. I think it's like partially production company, partially like his artist name because he sells like prints of his work and a bunch of other stuff on his website. He describes working on Corpse Bride as like, quote unquote, like the opportunity to collaborate with Tim Burton kind of, or like he was mentored by him almost. That's something. And then Tim Burton, obviously, you know who he is. I don't need to list his credits to you. The film was produced by Tim Burton and Allison Abate, who has also produced <laughs> Frank and Weenie, The Iron Giant, and Fantastic Mr. Fox. Then, of course, we have Danny Elfman, who composed all of the music. Composing-wise, he did the music for Nightmare Before Christmas, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Men in Black, Corpse Bride, obviously, The Simpsons, and Desperate Housewives. But in addition to that, he's produced orchestral scores for like a million movies, notably Big Eyes, Fifty Shades, and Fifty Shades Darker, Silver Linings Playbook, like a very wide range of types of movies. Movies he's produced the scores for, which is interesting. The screenplay and the story were written by uh, several people, but Tim Burton and Carlos Grangel have character credit. Carlos was the character designer. He has worked on so much stuff. He's like a puppet, like a puppet designer mostly. Um, but he worked on Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, Hotel Transylvania, How to Train Your Dragon, Kung Fu Panda. Spirit, Stallion of Cimarron, The Road to El Dorado, Balto, Ants with a Z, The Prince of Egypt. He's been bringing a lot to us culturally for a long time. And then the screenplay was written by three people, John August, Caroline Thompson, and Pamela Petler. John August wrote Big Fish, Frank and Weenie, Go, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the 2019 live action Aladdin, Dark, Charlie's Angels, Full Throttle, Milk, Taking Woodstock. He has a lot of credits for many, many things. Then Caroline Thompson wrote Edward Scissorhands, Adam's Family, Nightmare Before City, City of Ember, and Snow White, the fairest of them all, that direct-to-VHS movie that we had growing up that I can't wait to cover someday. It has Miranda Richardson in it. It's really weird. She also wrote The Secret Garden, which is another one that I want to cover at some point. And then Pamela Petler wrote Monster House and Nine. Okay, now for the cast. I feel as though I don't need to explain the career credits of Johnny Depp or Helena Bonham Carter, so I didn't compile them. But Johnny Depp plays Victor Van Dort, and Helena Bonham Carter plays the Corpse Bride, a.k.a. Emily. Emily Watson plays Victoria. She was in Gosford Park, Breaking the Waves, Punch Drunk Love, and Red Dragon. Tracy Ullman is Mrs. Van Dort, so Victor's mom. She, of course, is Tracy Ullman of The Tracy Ullman Show, a very renowned comedian. She also was in Small Time Crooks, Bullets Over Broadway, and played Jack's mother in the Into the Woods movie, which I totally forgot. I saw that movie once. Oh, right. And never looked yeah, back. My God. Sondheim as movies should not be done. And it was a Disney joint, which is weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 
One thing I can say, you can't go wrong casting Chris Pine. Period. Next, we have Paul Whitehouse as Mr. Van Dort. He was in The Death of Stalin, Alice Through the Looking Glass, Corpse Bride, and The Fast Show. Then we have Joanna Lumley as Mrs. Everglot. She was in The Wolf of Wall Street, Absolutely Fabulous, and Ella Enchanted, which I could not place her in my mind, but yes, that is where she's from. Then we have Albert Finney as Mr. Everglot. He was in Aaron Brockovich, Scrooge as Scrooge, Big Fish, and the 1974 Murder on the Orient Express. Then we have Richard E. Grant as Count Barkus. He was also in Gosford Park, Can You Ever Forgive Me, Hudson Hawk, and With Nail and I. Then Christopher Lee as Pastor Goldswells. Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, The Wicker Man. I love him. Michael Goff as Elder Kutnicht. He's like Alfred from Batman in Batman and Robin, Batman Forever, and the 1989 Batman. And then shout out to Deep Roy as William Bones Apart. The, uh, he, he's the Oompa Loompas in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Mm-hmm. There was a budget of $40 million, according to Wikipedia, And in North America, the film opened to number two in its first weekend with $19,145,480 behind Flight Plan. Domestically, it made $53,359,111. And worldwide, it has made $118,090,836. A lot of people saw this movie, but no one talks about it. I feel like that's like a big part of the second half movie. Okay, and now critic and audience opinions. The critic score on Rotten Tomatoes was 84, and they said this. As can be expected from a Tim Burton movie, Corpse Bride is whimsically macabre, visually imaginative, and emotionally bittersweet. I went to Roger Ebert to see what he would have to say, but his review was so weird and like incoherent, but I still picked this part. Roger Ebert gave the movie a three-star rating and the title of the review was Here Comes the Corpse, dot, dot, dot. And this is part of what he said. The movie's inspiration is to make Emily, the corpse bride, a figure of sympathy, not horror. She lost her own chance at happiness when she was murdered on the eve of her wedding and now wants to be a good wife for Victor. She's rather sexy in a spectral way with those big eyes and plump lips and only a few places where the skin has rotted away to reveal the bone beneath. He basically was like, the animation is really cool and she's hot, but he like doesn't actually give any critique to anything and then gives it three stars. The Hollywood Reporter at the time of release gave the movie like an A++ 100. They said, a wondrous flight of fancy, a stop motion animated treat brimming with imaginative characters, evocative sets, sly humor, inspired songs, and a genuine whimsy that seldom finds its way into today's movies. And then LA Weekly said this, There's much clattering and clanking, plus a couple of songs. Some of the Gothic-inspired neo-Victorian visuals are quite arresting. And the corpse bride herself is, dare one say, surprisingly hot. But the whole thing (laughs) just isn't much fun. People, People can't help but remark on her being hot. What? Yeah. I mean, I do have comments about that, but like, isn't much fun. Yeah, it's kind of the only thing. Okay, you're boring. Yeah, yeah. We will also come back to that. 
All right. So Common Sense Media gave it four stars and said it was appropriate for ages 10 and up. It is magical with scares most 10-year-olds can handle. (laughs) Parents need to know that this movie includes multiple references to dead bodies, skeletons, decay, and death, though all in good fun. The corpse bride's eye pops out occasionally to show the talking maggot who lives inside and offers romantic advice. The story concerns a young man and woman who meet for a marriage arranged by their parents, both families in need of money. The young man's betrothal to the corpse bride leads him to contemplate his own death in order to fit in with her friends. I don't know that that is the reason. Not quite accurate. It's so that he can be with her, period. Yeah, also Um, not both families need money. One of them needs status and the other one needs money. Right, right, right. Um, Song and dance numbers feature skeletons, corpses, and ghosts. Both sets of parents are using their children to achieve money and status. There you go. And -hmm. when the live bride-to-be asks the local pastor for help, the film raises questions concerning the effectiveness of organized religion. (laughs) That's really the, the main question of Corpse Bride. Talk to your kids about the following topics. The dilemma facing Victor, who comes to love both the corpse bride and his arranged bride, and so must choose between them. That's also not really accurate. How do Victor's and Victoria's parents pressure them to marry? How might Victor have handled the confusion he felt differently to avoid hurting Victoria's or the corpse bride's feelings? We're going to come back to the, is are anyone's feelings actually hurt in the end? Okay, so the audience score was 77%. And the letterboxed average star rating is 3.8 stars. That's actually pretty fair. Yeah. I'm going to say that's a really good score, especially because I don't know that they really advertised this movie as like a musical, but it basically, it is a musical. Yeah. Yeah. So like if it's a secret musical, people probably, you know, a lot of people hate that. So those are pretty good scores. Audience opinions, 2.5 stars made for Halloween movie with weak plot and many slow moments but at least provides a great and easy new costume option for women. Ha ha. Um, Four stars. Actually, like, really sad. Don't want to speak about it. (laughs) It touched them Uh, deeply. 3.5 stars. There's an eye in me soup. (laughs) I like that line. Yeah. And finally, four stars. R.I.P. Emily, you would have loved Lana Del Rey. Okay, so... When did we first watch Corpse Bride? What do we remember about it? Well, this is a van movie and that's crucial. I have put that in the graphic before. I feel like, and this is very established, I'm not always someone who's going to want to rewatch an animated movie all the time. Yeah. But this movie did slip through the cracks. Like I couldn't really remember why it was that I rewatched it so much. I was like, oh, that is kind of weird that like, I was down to watch it so many times. Yeah. And then when I was watching it, I was like, oh, I remember because it's a secret musical. (laughs) Even though it is, quote, animated, it still has like a very like tactile quality to it. And I think that just like scratched an itch in my brain. Like I, yeah, it's just so pretty. And we'll talk about that more. What else? I do think like the scene where she comes out of the ground did creep me out. Like it did kind of scare me. Yeah. As a kid, I loved the piano scenes. They're very wholesome. And I thought it was really cool that they like animate, took the time to animate playing the piano accurately. We watched this a ton in the car. We also watched the 
behind the scenes featurettes a ton in the car. The project's been around yeah, for probably 10 years to finally get made. And uh, a lot has to do with finding and yeah, getting a, a great group of people together. Uh, a lot of people get, you know, sort of sucked off into the, doing computer stuff, but there's still this great group and uh, rare group of people that are still into this type of animation. The length of all the behind the scenes stuff is like 40 minutes and the movie is 75 minutes. So who knows the breakdown of how much time we spent uh, really absorbing either option. Probably neck and neck, I would say. I rewatched all of that today too as I was preparing. And like Audrey said, the craftsmanship of it is really beautiful. The way that all these puppets are constructed is really cool. I actually saw, I'm pretty sure I saw the corpse bride or one of the corpse brides at the Museum yeah. of Puppetry in Atlanta. Oh. Yeah. I have a picture of it. I saw one at, obviously there's tons of them. There are many of these models to go around at the like Oscar Museum here. Yeah, that would make sense. I think they said that in the behind the scenes thing that they made 14 of her. And then, so I hadn't seen this movie in a really long time before I watched it today. And the things I remembered, I wrote down, is there some sort of uprising in reference to when they go to the land of the living? I remember there being a twist villain. I remember the songs and like the colors of everything. Okay, no, no, no. I don't remember the songs. I remember the first song. Yeah, and I remember I the the Danny Elfman singing as a skeleton song. Otherwise, yeah. did not remember. Other memories associated were that in the sixth grade, I was Corpse Bride for Halloween. But you didn't do a blue face. Because I went to school. Audrey's judging my sixth grade self. We thrifted like a white formal dress. And then we intentionally like made it look crappy with like gray spray paint and stuff. Mom was really like the executive producer of this uh, costume. And then we made like a tattered veil and we um, we got all these blue little roses from the craft store, which was fun, and made a veil out of that. But really, the grand thing was that we made a giant poncho out of white, like, blanket material. So... It was fleece. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I wouldn't get too cold while trick-or-treating. All you who live in a cold climate, you know and understand how much the weather ruins a costume. Yes, it does. Like when you're a kid, the practicality comes into it. Kids already don't want to wear a coat, even on a normal day. A lot of kids don't. Yep. So to ask children to cover up the costume is just painful. I know. And I always hated that. Or putting a long sleeve shirt under. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, horrible. I also, in sixth grade, entered a local, like, window painting contest. Like, you had to submit your idea and then be selected to paint a window at, like, a local establishment. And I drew a picture of the corpse bride, and then they approved me. And then I went and painted it, and I did not win. Womp, womp, womp. Speaking of Halloween costumes really fast, have you acquired your stuff yet for your costume? Slash, I don't think you've said what you're being. Or did you? 
I mean, as, here's the thing. Like, this is very like sleepover cinema. And also a, somebody in the Discord said they were going to be this. And I've seen other listeners be this before, but that's okay. We're sharing. I'm just going to do the classic Mia Thermopolis cover of Princess Diaries look. So far, I only have the sunglasses, the headphones, and the gloves. Got it. It sounds just like a power, you know, like a powerful outfit to have in general. Yeah. Since the last time we talked, I have officially committed to being a pink witch. And after I said oh. that, after I said that on the podcast last time, beloved listener and friend Joey texted me a picture of this Rainbow High doll, which if you guys don't know what Rainbow High is, it's like Monster High is like the spooky version and Rainbow High is like the princess version. And there's a really cute kind of like interpretation of Glinda. And I'm going mm-hmm. as that. I also got a wig, so I can't wait. Nice. Go watch The Corpse Bride. Yeah, it's so short. On Max. It's so short and it's on Max. I had a really good time watching it and I hope you do watch it because it's also on theme. Get some popcorn or something. You know what I really want? Popcorn and wine. Like a nice salty ass popcorn and some shard. That sounds perfect. (laughs) Yeah. So do that and we'll be right back. I'm Christina Yerling Biro, host of the podcast Pop Culture Confidential. Join me as I go way behind the scenes with some of the most influential people in entertainment and media. Hear actors such as Succession's Brian Cox talk about his favorite characters to play. There always has to be a mystery. The audience have to be in a situation where they want to know what's going on. Meet studio execs like Pixar chief Pete Docter and learn his secret on how he makes us cry. Emotion is our first language. And so many others who are defining popular culture, from Obama speechwriter David Litt to Top Chef host Padma Lakshmi. We don't often think about food politically or we don't want to, but it really is. Join me. Search for Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the land of the living, where we will be discussing Corpse Bride. Audrey, I get the sense that you really enjoyed this movie. Did you not? I just want to hear. I just want to hear what you have to say. Before I put it on, I was kind of like ambivalent, and then like twenty minutes in, I was like, "Oh, it's a me." I forgot. It's like literally a musical. I feel like it's not really a musical, though. It's more of a musical than I thought it was. <laughs> like, um, not, I thought I didn't remember it being, I didn't remember the characters singing themselves at all other than the skeleton song, like explaining the corpse yeah. ride. My, the only reason why I hesitate to be like, this is a musical is like, there are songs, but none of them are really about anyone's feelings except for that tiny bit of Corpse Bride singing, like the rest of it is all just like weird information communicating. Yeah, and it's cool. 
I totally forgot about that one song. The one where the worm and the spider are like singing. That one sucked. That one was bad. Did you like that song? <laughs> what? <laughs> I thought you liked this movie. What happened? Were you in a bad no. mood when you watched it? No, 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 no. I have I have good opinions and I have strong opinions in either direction. This is just one of the specific areas where I was like, this is bad. Did you like that song? Uh, well, I was just happy it was happening. I just forgot that it had musical moments like that. So I was like, oh, like this is so, I think in my memory, I was like remembering how kind of blue and gray and sometimes really cold the shots are, which is extremely on purpose. So I was like, oh, like, is this about to be boring? I just genuinely forgot what the content of the movie was. So I was entertained by remembering what it was. That song was not good because it's just talking. Like, could you sing it to me right now? Is there a single catchy part of it? Yeah, I agree that that is an issue with Corpse Bride in general is that you're not going to remember the songs. You're you're not going to remember the melodies. But then when I heard it again, I was like, oh, duh. Like, I was like, oh, I remember this yeah. well. But only when I was watching it did I remember it well. Not to make a joke, but like, they're not earworms. I did write down good opening number TBH because yeah. I think that's the best song. According to plan. I remember that. Yeah. Like that <laughs> one actually explains a lot of information in a way. It, it is intense, but also like you haven't already sat through like seven info dump songs at that point. It's still the beginning. So it sets the stage nicely. And yeah, it's useful in the scene where they're rehearsing their vows and the the pre the preacher like steps forward and his stole does that like wave thing that's like borderline just funny but it also looks amazing the whole thing looks amazing i just genuinely feel like it was not a substantive story I think there's moments where it is asking like cool questions, but it doesn't result in a cool answer. I was like, okay, well, they're talking about marriage as like a political move or like a financial stability move. But then clearly the corpse bride doesn't think of it that way. It's like purely for love. And it's like, so there's that, but then there's also like, okay, marriage as an act of bringing two families together. And then it's like, well, Emily doesn't have a family. So is it just bringing together the world of the living and the world of the dead? And what does that mean? But there's no actual thoughts on any of these things to be found. I don't think. Not to jump to the end, but I do think the ending surprised me a bit. It also gave me like, um, in a, some way, like reverse Phantom of the Opera type yes, feelings. Yes. But I kind of like want him to be with Emily. I don't know. <laughs> I guess that's dark, but they like you know, go to a lot all of the, people. They go to all this effort that. to make her hot and desirable, even though she's dead. <laughs> I know. And I know. They develop a, I think, more lovable chemistry than he has with Victoria just because there's way more screen time with him and Emily than there is with him and Victoria. And plus, Victoria's very, like, boring. <laughs> boring. Yeah. She's fine, but she definitely seems 
nice or whatever. But like, I think if there was another scene or two of them, then I could actually have a more of like a balanced, like who should he go with? But like, in my mind, I'm like, I feel like he should like kill himself and go with them. <laughs> right. Especially if, <laughs> trigger warning. Uh, <laughs> if the land of the living is so ass anyway. Yeah. Like, it's not like there's this hope. It's not like there's this like grand hope or, you know, like somewhere he wants to move to that is like beautiful. That could be interesting. Yeah. If like yeah. in his mind, he has this vision of like where he's going to go when he marries what's her face. But it's like just dreadful. Like being with the dead was a lot more lively than being with the living. There isn't a lot of introspection at all. With no Victor as a character, I would yeah. I Emily, is, Emily is really the protagonist. <sighs> in a- yes, but even then, I find her the logic surrounding her situation to be confusing. Like mm-hmm. at the end, when she was like, "You've set me free," I was like, "Did he set her free by proposing in the first yeah. place?" That's what they're trying to say. That did not really land. Well, there's a lot of world questions. You can't think about it too hard. Kind of like with Barbie, like similar thing. Like if you think about the world too hard and the rules of the world, you realize that there are no rules. Like it it kind of doesn't make sense because. Yeah. I guess what they're implying is that. And with the song that the skeleton sings that explains her story, they're trying to say that she needed somebody To ask them to marry her. But I'm like, this isn't something that happens. Like you were banking on someone to walk into the (laughs) woods and this exact scenario to happen for you to be set free. Yeah, I was kind of like for that whole first chunk where they were up on the surface or whatever. I was like, why are they here? Like it kind of felt like they wanted to have a sequence where people were reuniting mm-hmm. de- like with their with their departed and so yeah. they like shoehorned it in yeah when when the skeleton showed up behind the people at the dinner table i was like wait how did this happen they kind of don't explain it and it is a cute moment like the whole grandpa thing it is cute it is cute it's also just low hanging yeah fruit, yeah if you will I will say that I did laugh out loud when Emily and Victor go to get like whatever to go to the surface together to ostensibly meet Victor's family. And the guy like makes that whole potion and then just drinks it himself. I thought that made me laugh. The piano theme is really beautiful. I used to listen to it on my iPod recreationally back in the day. I think it's beautiful. I think I just don't like the freestanding songs. The Victor is certainly very underdeveloped. He just comes off as like radically selfish. I think I would do the same thing in his situation. I mean, you're going to want to get back to land just to do a vibe check and see what's going on. You know, you might have to like use Emily to like get, he didn't even know getting back to land was an option. Once you know it's an option, you're going to want to go. So he does. And he tries, like, he tries to not hurt her feelings while also trying to, like... That's true, though. He's just being avoidant. Well, he does tell her straight up after that. Like, right after that, he's like, I would not marry you. And she's like, <gasps> and then... Well, right, but it's also so... It's like, <laughs> I hate to even say this, but it's like, 
man doesn't know how to have hard conversation, then finally has to say what they mean and just is a huge dick. If you were Victor, literally, what would you say? I'd be like, listen, it was all an accident. From the beginning, from the very beginning. Yeah. Because you see her, you're like, oh, she's kind of hot, first of all. Second of all, you're like, everyone here seems pretty reasonable. So I would go, (laughs) this was all a mistake. You're really nice and cool. I'm so sorry. This is annulled and I gotta go. Do you think that she would turn like demonic and not let him leave? Um, Possibly. I think that- the energy also of like the townspeople skeletons is very much like we are protective over this woman because she's been hurt and we're so yeah. happy that you made her happy. So he's like also not wanting to like make a bunch of dead people mad. Anger like I did the locals. Yeah. Yeah. Like there is an element of that too. It's not like everyone was like chilling and then he like didn't tell the truth. I mean, that is really a scary situation to be in. That's true. That's true. (laughs) It's just confusing because I feel like he views her as like a scary, creepy zombie burden until just for a weirdly long time, I feel like. What do we want to say about the fact that she is hot? You kind of have to make her hot because... Marketing, first of all. And second, (laughs) otherwise it would just seem like, okay, you're not gonna, like, it it wouldn't even be a thought in the audience's mind that he would ever pick. I I mean, that sounds shallow. It is shallow. No, it is. But yeah. uh, That he would pick uh, Emily over Victoria if she was like, like a a really disturbing dead person. (laughs) I mean, I always thought the corpse bride was like pretty. Yeah, I didn't perceive her. Now I see like how purposeful her design is and and like yeah. the, the certain trait like it's like I mean the proportions on these characters are already crazy but um yeah. <laughs> like the skinny legs and the like Victoria's proportion of waist to hip is wild yeah I I as a kid I was like oh she's also pretty but I think I was I thought Victoria and Emily were like comparably pretty but now I do think that I see like Instagram face, you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like it's really clear that this movie was conceived of and executed by men. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And also kind of clear that it was conceived by Tim Burton and executed by someone else. Because it does have obviously all the hallmarks of Tim Burton, but it doesn't necessarily have the depth of heart that a lot of Tim Burton movies do have, especially his earlier work. Yeah. Like Edward Scissorhands, for example, where like, I think that movie has like made me tear up before. I don't remember when, in what point or what part. Yeah. But it's got more of a depth of heart and it feels a little less like um, a product for children and a little bit more like an artist's statement. And I feel like Crow's Bride was just like another idea on his list and, and they bought it and then they were like, okay, sweet, let's do it. And and it was executed so beautifully visually, but like as far as the script, it's following a very cookie cutter format that we've seen many times that feels, you know, maybe comforting, but it doesn't feel like it's like going anywhere 
particularly new. Mm -hmm. I feel like the plot feels like a treatment more than an actual fully formed plot. Like, because you never really learn that much. Like, you learn that Emily was killed by her ex-lover, but it's kind of the bare minimum. I don't know. There, I mean, definitely there's like a lot more information that could have been infused. Like why, like what? I mean, that's so juicy. Like we deserve to know what happened with them. And yeah. did she actually love him or what? There's a ton of like reading between the lines in this. And like when I was a kid, I remember like kind of filling in the gaps when I was watching it and kind of, yeah, like projecting more depth onto it than there actually was. And Mm -hmm. looking at it this time, I was like, this could have been a short film probably and made the same impact. I think I know the answer, but fuck, Mary, kill, Victoria, Victor, Emily. That's hard because they're all kind of good and bad at the same time. I guess Victoria is the most fine. (laughs) Well, it's like kill Emily. She's already dead. So it's like you didn't even hey. do it. <laughs> so kill Emily, marry Vic. Wait. <laughs> yeah. No, I you guess. would kill Mary Victor. You wouldn't want to. Well, no, all, the only reason I said that is because killing Emily is fine because she's already dead. So it's not even like hurting her. She just, she's fine. Right, but then you're not doing anything with her. Right. So yeah, we'll say, we'll say kill Victor. I guess I mean, fuck Emily. I guess it's gotta be fuck Emily. Well, but she seems a little more fun than Victoria. So like I'm what if I want to marry her because she's more fun? I guess you can one and done with Victoria. Yeah, like I feel like she's kind of boring. Yeah, I agree. That's my answer. <laughs> All right. I like that. I think that's good. So ultimately, I think that this basically did meet my expectation. Even though we watched this movie a ton when we were kids. And I related to like the emo elements of it. The fact that so many details are foggy. Yeah, like really hard to remember. I don't know why. Kind of speaks to the truth of the matter. Or like the the problems with it, with the script, I guess. It's like a beautiful, perfect execution of a really mid story. Oh, one thing I will say that, you know, either Tim Burton or this other man, Mike, is that his name? Yeah. They're experts of sequencing. Like when, mm-hmm. when it comes to like the shot for shot, like the storyboard sequencing, it's immaculate. Like it's just mm-hmm. so, it feels so right. Like I, yeah. I, I honestly think like my, the time that I was the most impressed with the sequencing was again, like the Corpse Bride stories song. It's yeah. just like every shot leads into the next, leads into the next. On the craftsmanship alone, it's just like a huge accomplishment. I wish that the story would have been better. However, the world is definitely better for Corpse Bride existing in it. Yeah. And also the fact that Emily gives Victor his childhood dog is really cute. Yeah, that was really cute. It, it goes back to the kind of unexplored question of the com- like bringing together of the world of the living and the world of the dead. We didn't really get that deep with it. It feels like a simple yes. telling for children. And, and I was thinking about, oh my God, like I'm sure this has also been broached for like musical adaptations. I'm like yeah. positive. 
Same with like Edward Scissorhands. I'm kind of surprised that that hasn't been adapted. Doesn't it just feel like somebody's thirsty? Yes, it would get adapted into like (laughs) belting tween bait a la Heather's. I don't know if we should put this in, but recently I saw a picture of the back of my laptop in 2015 and all the stickers I had on that shit. They are so embarrassing to look back at. But I'm like, I literally brought this laptop into writing workshops and then wondered why I got bullied. (laughs) The writing was on the wall. It was the writing was on the laptop. (laughs) (laughs) The writing was on the back of my pink laptop shell. We're coming into the end of our third Halloween episode. And so that means there's two more Halloween episodes, I think. That's it. (laughs) Just telling you how many there were. Just orienting you within the timeline (laughs) of... Sleepover Cinema's (laughs) path here. So as always, you can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover dash cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at twopingproductions.com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at Sleepover Cinema and post a full video version of each episode on YouTube every Thursday. You can follow me, Audrey, at Audrey A. Leach on everything. And you can follow me, Hannah, at Real Judy Garland on Instagram and at Lana Von Trapp on Twitter. And as always, you are cordially invited to join our Discord server at the link in the episode description or on evergreenpodcasts.com. You can check out our merch at tupingproductions.com slash shop. We have t-shirts, sweatshirts, stickers, and more. And if you love yourself some sleepover cinema, please share this episode or any episode with a friend, a family member, etc. And leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts just to be kind. Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Roll Hoffman with theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Executive producer is Michael D'Aloy. There's an eye in me soup. There's an eye in me soup. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.